Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Mental Health Pod. This episode, we spoke to Hope Virgo, a mental health campaigner and author of Stand Tall, Little Girl, which details her journey with anorexia. More recently, Hope's efforts have been devoted to her Dump the Scales petition, which calls for the government to review the eating disorder guidance delivered by clinicians. We love chatting to Hope and learning about her inspirational story. So if you enjoy the episode too, please drop us a review and rating and recommend us to a friend. Hi Hope, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, to start with, do you want to just elaborate on your relationship with, with mental health in a personal and professional capacity? Yep, um, so I developed anorexia when I was about 12, 13 years old um, and then kind of lived with it for the next four years, hiding it from everyone around me. So became quite secretive, um, probably quite difficult to be around as well. And then eventually when I was 17, um, my, uh, my heart nearly stopped and I was admitted to a mental health hospital. And I spent then the next year of my life living in that hospital, kind of learning about food, learning about exercise and learning about kind of, I guess, managing myself in the real world, kind of talking about my feelings and not expressing myself through food. Um, And kind of since then, um, I pretty much managed my recovery. Um, I had kind of ups and downs with it, but knew pretty much what I needed to do to stay well. So knew what my triggers were, knew kind of how much I had to eat every day. Um, But unfortunately, in 2016, I relapsed. Um, So my grandma passed away and I really struggled with it. I struggled with a lot of grief that came with it. And I felt really guilty um, a lot of the time about her dying, actually. I kind of blamed myself for it and felt bad that the last time I saw her, I'd had a really bad visit with her. And when she passed away, um, the first time in eight years, that kind of relentless anorexic voice came back in my head, kind of telling me what I should and shouldn't be doing, telling me to skip meals, telling me that if I exercised more and ate less and lost weight, then it would somehow make kind of all of that grief go away and that everything would be so much better. And after about four or five months of struggling again, I ended up reaching out for support. Um, But unfortunately, as I'm sure you're aware, with the eating disorder services in the NHS, it's very difficult to get any support unless you're underweight and at that kind of crisis point where you have to get admitted to hospital. So I went to this appointment and got told there was nothing that they could do for me. And I left it and just felt completely at a loss. Like I felt really suicidal. I felt kind of like a complete failure. And I felt, I guess, in a way, like completely trapped in my own brain because I didn't know how I was ever going to stop kind of having that relentless battle kind of day in, day out and trying to deal with it. And after kind of about the next four weeks where I really struggled, um, I came to this realisation that I could either lose all the weight myself um, and end up back in adult services or I could... um, go to the doctor and try and get some help and try and kind of battle it on my own. So I ended up going on antidepressants for about a year and a half um, to kind of like help clear my head a bit, give me a bit of energy to eat again and to help me to process what I'd been through. And I guess ever since then, I've like kind of been focusing quite a bit on my recovery. So making sure that I stay on top of things, knowing, knowing that I can actually get to a point and go back to the point that I was at kind of six, seven years ago where I wasn't really thinking about it that much. Um, And part of it 
for me, I think is getting that confidence back that I'm kind of at a healthy weight now. And yes, there will still be days when I struggle, but actually I know what I should be eating and I should try not to overthink it so much, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's amazing. And first of all, congratulations for being able to have relapsed and get back to a place where you want to be. Um, I think we'll focus on the latter stuff later, but can going back to the start, can you remember how your issues kind of started to manifest themselves, um, and what kind of what kind of life was like living with them as they reached their their uh, lowest point? I suppose. Yeah. So, um, so when I first developed it, it started off really slowly. So I'd kind of skip the odd meal here and there, do a bit more exercise at school, kind of really minor stuff but then the more I did that the better I felt and I got this kind of sense of purpose from doing it and it just made everything kind of make sense to me it also helped kind of stop me thinking about all the other stuff going on in life so I had quite a messy family life around that time and I was also sexually abused and I didn't know how to process any of what was going on and that anorexic voice and kind of thinking about calories exercise all the time helped me to not think about all the other stuff that I just really didn't want to think about back then and stuff that I just found so awful to talk about so it kind of made me feel better actually and it made me feel better probably for the next four years um and I only started to hate the fact I had an eating disorder when my family interfered and it was kind of those evenings where I'd argue with my mum and everyone would get really upset and I would kind of go to bed and just feel really kind of isolated and be like, no one really understands. Like, I don't want to have this voice in my head anymore, but I don't know how to get rid of it. But it was only those evenings. And the next morning, you'd get up and you'd just be like, yep, like, this is really good. If I miss this meal, I'll feel better again. So it's kind of like this vicious cycle that you get trapped in, I guess. Yeah, and I, I, I read that you said um, the voice inside your head was, was almost like your best friend. Um, and that you were kind of rewarding that voice when you skipped a meal or you exercised excessively. So did it, I suppose, did it, you, um, you didn't feel bad at the time when you were doing this stuff or? No, I didn't. And I remember like I used to, um, there's one evening actually, I remember I once had a massive row with my dad and ended up throwing like some a loaf of sliced bread across the kitchen. Mm. And like looking back, I was like, oh my God, that was ridiculous. Like I'm not a violent person. I'm not confrontational. Like, but it was, I guess I was so desperate to not eat and so desperate to keep that kind of anorexic voice happy that I just did whatever it told me to do and whatever I thought it, I needed to do to kind of keep feeling okay about things. Yeah. And so when it reached its kind of, worst point you you admitted to hospital um and what what was that kind of environment like what what support did you get and and what things really helped you to get better um so the hospital I was in was actually really good um I was in a room with three other girls and then they're kind of across the hospital there was a range of guys and girls um aged kind of 12 up to 18 and people had various things like eating disorders depression OCD psychosis to kind of like a real mixture of us and actually I liked having people that didn't just have eating disorders because it took that competitive element away slightly 
Um, and you weren't always kind of talking about food and calories and what was the lowest calorie thing on the hospital menu and ridiculous things like that. Um, but I think there were certain things that helped me, mainly the therapy. So I had lots of one-to-one therapy, which was really good. I also did a lot of body image work. So one of the nurses got me to draw how I imagined myself on these pieces of brown paper. And then she traced around me. And when I looked at the images, the image that I drew compared to the image of my kind of outline of my body, um, I remember just being so shocked at how different it was. And it was things like that that helped me to realize that there was something slightly wrong with me and whatever it was, I had to try and sort it out. Um, And I guess as well, kind of that acceptance that I wasn't happy being really underweight and kind of pleasing this anorexic boy. So I might as well trying to put on the weight and then see if I'll be happy then if that makes sense yeah so was it was it mainly kind of talking therapies that you do or was it stuff like CBT as well so I didn't do CBT in hospital just did talking therapies and then did a little bit of dance therapy um, and a little bit of group therapy so was were you did you have control over what kind of therapies you did or were there lots of options uh no there was was like a program that they suggested um, and when I went in, it was written on my care plan that this is what I was going to do. And then there was stuff that you could ask to do as well. Okay. And when you came out of hospital, you went straight to university, am I right? Yeah. Or, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, it was really important to get out of that family environment. Like I just, my bedroom had just really horrible memories of kind of exercising at all hours like I remember there was like a vomit stain on the carpet from when I'd made myself sick like all of this stuff and I just couldn't I just didn't want to be back in that house and so yeah so it was important I guess for me to go out and get a bit of independence and actually to see if I could manage my recovery not being in kind of like an intense family environment so yeah I think that really makes sense and and how did you find keeping your kind of coping mechanisms and methods that made you better how do you find keeping them when you were outside the the hospital environment and transitioning to to university so it was hard at times I was quite lucky because my uni friends although they probably didn't really understand what anorexia was and what an eating disorder was they understood the fact that I had certain times that I needed to eat meals and I had certain kind of strange habits, like I only ate cereal out of one cereal bowl and various things like that, but they didn't really question it. They just kind of accepted it. But I found it really difficult adjusting to the non-structured environment and the fact that people just drink loads and loads and you're supposed to be having this amazing time. And at times I really struggled and I was like, why am I not having an amazing time? Everyone else is like, I'm preoccupied with calories. Um, and even in like the end of the first year, we went, we had um, an end of year ball and I got a dress for it. And then the night before I tried on the dress and I just felt awful. And I remember going to bed, like just lying in bed that whole evening, just feeling like really unhappy and being like, I don't want to wear this dress. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and then like I got kind of got on with it. And I think throughout the three years at uni, it definitely got easier. And my confidence increased around food and kind of generally and my weight did go up a little bit actually when I was at uni, but I didn't really mind because I was having such a good time, like I was having a good time towards the end and realizing that actually there was so much more to life than like constantly thinking about calories. Yeah. And you said that a lot of university involves, uh, well, the socializing involves drinking or eating. Um, yeah. And actually I'd had 
kind of exercise into that mix as well for me it was um and where i went to university that was a, a big part of the social life was was sport and exercise so that it kind of strikes me as if someone's going through something like anorexia or, or an eating disorder it's quite a toxic environment to be in yeah no definitely and it means I remember some days like I'd end up going and doing exercise but then not really eating much throughout the day because I wouldn't want to eat too much if I was going to drink loads in the evening so it kind of came a bit of a kind of balancing act trying to work out whether I could eat what I would drink and all of that um which wasn't an ideal combination um but I think it was good just to be out of kind of that institutionalized environment that I'd had in hospital and to be kind of away from people who knew about my eating to kind of try and have a bit more of a fresh start, if that makes sense. And I think that is a really positive, real positive for some people. And I think it really works for some people to do that. I think obviously you've got to be really careful if you're going straight to uni after hospital admissions, but actually it might, I do think sometimes it helps someone get their love of life back. Yeah. And I suppose it, it kind of shows to yourself that you can do it. Yeah. Um, no, definitely. What was the kind of support like at university or did you not, was it not really available? Uh, so I did get offered outpatient support um, kind of immediately from hospital. Um, but I kind of fell through the gap. I went for one session, no one followed up. Um, went back probably like three months later. Um, and yeah, nothing was really done about it, if I'm honest. I've, I struggled with that, but I'm quite lucky because my mum used to come down and see me quite a bit just to make sure that I was on track with my eating and things like that. Yeah, so the support wasn't... What, what I found at university was the support wasn't particularly linked up between maybe the universities and the health service, but also if you're, if you're based in somewhere that's not that's quite far from home the unis weren't able to or the local gps weren't able to pass the information i told them so when i went home um i was effectively starting afresh again on the waiting lists for um for nhs services at home god it's, it's literally like ridiculous isn't it when you think about it like that yeah and so i had yeah loads of people are just kind of buried around yeah i had a couple of sessions with the university then went to the gps the GPs had no relationship necessarily with the universities and then after I left university I had to go back to my home GP and then start the process of uh, the NHS waiting time again which was uh, 12 weeks I think for someone that was suicidal which isn't really not really brilliant <laughs> no <laughs> um, so you talk about 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 your relapse but you said that you didn't really fit a specific criteria um, and was there no level of support underneath if you didn't match the criteria was there no level of support underneath that no so the only thing I could get was um, to refer myself through IAPT which I did did eventually do and then got put on like a 12 16 week wait list for eight sessions of CBT but that wasn't I guess with me, that wasn't what I wanted. What I wanted was someone to talk to kind of once a week for maybe six weeks to help me get my eating back on track. Um, and I think that's the most frustrating thing with eating disorders is quite often we just, people just think that it's just a completely physical illness and it's not. It's so much to do with your brain and you can be a completely healthy weight 
but still massively struggling with that kind of eating disorder mindset. And if that's the case, you're very unlikely to get any sort of support through the NHS. Yeah. So how how did you manage to to improve after after this period? Um. So I went. The antidepressants really helped, actually, and. I really struggled going on them originally just because I didn't really want to take something from my brain, which sounds, when I say it now, I'm like, I can't believe I even thought that back then. Yeah, I, was, I was exactly the same. <laughs> I, I thought it would kind of, I don't know, maybe alter personality. Yeah. Or, um, but I, I do, I don't know if you kind of share this view, but I was offered them a few times before I actually went on them and I turned them down because I kind of thought, they were almost a bit of a, a kind of plaster that they that they might help in the short term but unless you actually address the kind of root causes of something and and implement uh coping strategies that are kind of lifelong rather than uh a period of medication yeah you, you may fall off the wagon again once you've finished taking them I don't know if you'd agree with yeah no I do I think they get given out kind of way too easily as a something that does just seem like a quick fix to actually sort things out um when it doesn't have any longevity to it and people then end up then being on them kind of for the rest of their lives because they're too scared to come off them um and I was really worried that that would happen to me actually that I'd get kind of hooked onto them um, and then not deal with the real issues of kind of what had caused me to relapse. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, how did you, how long do you stay on them and how did you manage to, to, to come off them? And um, so I was on them for about a year and a half, but I set, originally when I went on them, I set myself a timeline and so I'd be off them within six months. Um, and then I tried to come off them after six months and it didn't work. Um, which obviously do not do something like that without your GP. Um, but then I then went back on them for another year and came off them really, really slowly, kind of over the course of probably two months. So kind of half the dosage and then half it again. Um, and then I booked myself a three week holiday so that I'd be somewhere hot and kind of in the sunshine um, when I finally came off them, which was kind of quite an important factor for me because I came off them in November. So it was kind of the winter. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think just for me, it was more like I had to kind of remember what my coping mechanisms were around food. Um, I also got myself a personal trainer. So part of my eating disorder um, is linked to an obsession with exercise. And that's kind of one of the first things that goes when I start to have like stressful times or when I relapsed and so I got a personal trainer to help me get on track with the exercise so to kind of think about not doing as much cardio to do things like weights um, and to also kind of think a bit more about nutrition so I think that kind of long term really has helped um, and I guess as well for me it was more just I guess I had to do a lot of processing around my grandma and I kind of, I guess the antidepressants gave me the time to do that and gave me a bit of energy to do that. And whilst I didn't have any particular talking therapies, um, actually just having that kind of energy to do that on my own and to talk to my mum about it and things like that, I think it really helped. Yeah, so I suppose it was more informal yeah. um, help. And, and that I, can be yeah. a really powerful thing as well, I think. I think as well there's a worry, and I know that I'm definitely guilty of this, but and I'm sure other people are too, in that when I have a bad day now, like I know that it's fine and like by the end of the day I'll probably feel much better and 
It doesn't mean I'm relapsing. But there was a time, and certainly when I first came off medication, that I'd get really upset and then be like, oh, my God, I should be on the medication again. I'm getting really unwell again. So I think sometimes people have a tendency to overthink their really bad days and to think that kind of means that life's going to be over again. But I don't always think that's the case. Yeah, and I think those kind of days are made worse when for me when you when I have quite a quiet day so yeah so my my issue was originally associated with pain and so if I had a little flare-up somewhere and I wasn't active or doing anything I could just ruminate on it all the time Um, yeah and actually getting out there and doing stuff really helps but at times you just don't feel like you can do that um so how did you kind of get past those those bad days and those negative thoughts was there any particular so I tried to set myself kind of goals throughout the day so whether it was get up wash my hair go to the gym and then try and maybe like clean the house or do a couple of bits of work Um, and that kind of kept me going through those days and also kind of kept me motivated I also made make sure and I still do try and do this that I always have like maybe three things that I'm looking forward to in the next kind of couple of weeks so it's like I've got something that I'm working towards. Um, and I also always tell someone if I'm having a bad day. So normally it would be something like a text where I'll just text someone and say, I'm really struggling today. And I'm not expecting them to do anything or for them to come and see me. But I, by telling someone, it helps me to feel a bit more in control of it again. Yeah, so it's kind of building building your own support network. Yeah. And, and someone kind of knows they don't have to reply or you know do anything special but the fact that they know that you're having a bit of a rough time that can actually really help yeah definitely Um, so I'm quite curious because a lot of the time people say exercise for mental for mental health issues is a big thing but I suppose with eating disorders and kind of uh, obsessive exercise you really have to be very careful with that Yeah, you do. I think, so I always, I do strongly think that exercise has played a massive part in my recovery and is something that keeps me well now, actually. Um, But I think I also know that I have to be so, so careful that I don't start to over-exercise. And normally for me, when I start to over-exercise, I realise because I start to hate the exercise, I also get agitated if I don't give myself any rest days. Um, and then I also start kind of setting my alarm really, really early to kind of go for even longer kind of workout sessions. And when that happens, I, I, I guess normally I just try and cut it out. So it sounds really, I make it sound really easy and it's not, but I make sure that on like a day when I'm supposed to be having a rest day, I make sure that I'm really busy with work, kind of have loads of meetings on or whatever. And it helps me to then feel distracted by that. Yeah. And so you don't, you don't yeah. miss it I suppose I think as well with the exercise stuff for me it was more about becoming kind of a stronger person and not being like really skinny and realizing that actually I way prefer being able to do all of this stuff in the gym and kind of have the energy to yeah. do more running and cycling which I would never have been able to do um I'm oh, actually wow. doing in a couple of weeks a two-week bike ride across from John O'Groats to Land's End and um like eating as much food as I'm supposed to eat is like to do that much cycling is ridiculous and I really struggle with it but I know that if I don't eat the right amount of food and don't fuel my body in the right way 
then I'm not going to complete it and I'm going to fail at it. And so I think for me, it's kind of thinking about actually when I exercise, I need to have this amount of nutrition going into my body. I need carbs, yeah, I need protein, I kind of the whole lot. Otherwise, I won't be able to keep working out. Kind of training towards something rather than, you know, just going because you have the compulsion to go yeah. and just drive yourself into the ground. Okay. Um, and and you've said yeah, no, that definitely. It's, uh, it's quite important that someone like you discusses that you do have relapses and you do have uh, days that aren't great. How important do you think that message is that recovery, you know, isn't a smooth road? Uh, I think it's really important. Actually, I think people beat themselves up if they don't feel like they're recovering as fast as other people. And I think I used to think that as soon as I started to recover, as my weight went up, my mind should be changing kind of alongside that. But that's not the reality. Um, so I think I think it's important to be honest when you're struggling. And I think I try really hard because obviously I talk very openly about my recovery now and do a lot of work with young people and with the NHS and corporates. And for me, it's important that I don't just paint this kind of happy, clappy, everything's perfect recovery picture, because that's not the real world. Like recovery, getting to that point where you're recovered and working to recover is so difficult. And at times you just want to give up and you don't think that you're ever going to get out of that place. Um, and I don't yeah. want people well, no, to, just can, to think I that it was easy, agree. even though um, that probably sounds really negative. With, we always ask people what their... <laughs> top tip for kind of staying mentally healthy would be so what would what would what would you recommend so probably two things or three things maybe actually so the first one is around exercise so using exercise whether it's walking or running or cycling or gym to aid your recovery and realizing that actually whatever your mental health problem is or how whatever your mental health is generally like exercise can have a massively positive impact on it uh, the second one is always having something to look forward to, um, which for me, although I don't actually have one booked in at the moment, but for me, normally it's around having like a nice holiday book. So I try and go on holiday quite a lot throughout the year just because I enjoy that and it's good for me and it gives me that downtime as well. And then the final one is to try and distance yourself from the way you feel about yourself. So I know that when I look in the mirror, how I view myself is not how anyone else views me. So it's about trying to gather that kind of evidence that you can tell your brain that actually your brain is making a mistake and realising that actually you're so much stronger than that voice that's lying to you in your head. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think those those three points are uh, applicable across a range of um, a range of illnesses, um, which is really good. Um, so where can we find out more about what you do? And, and you've written a book as well, haven't you? Yeah, so my book is called Stand Tall Little Girl, and it is basically the journey of my life through my illness and then my recovery. Um, and my mum also writes maybe four chapters in it. She probably okay. knows how she writes um, to kind of give that parental insight into how you can support your child if they're struggling as well. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter. So my hash my handle thing is Hope Virgo, and then also on Facebook. So my I've got an author's page. Um, which is just Hope Virgo slash author. And it just kind of keeps you updated on the things I'm doing, what events I'm speaking at, um, and the various other bits of work that I'm doing. Um, 
And most, I guess at the moment, one of the most important things I'm working on is this campaign to ensure that the eating disorder um, guidance around BMI is implemented properly across the country so that people aren't turned away for not being kind of underweight. And yeah. at that point, so I'm doing a huge amount of work at the moment on that. And that um, is a campaign which you can find probably the best place is Twitter, just with the hashtag dump the scales. Um, so we're trying to get kind of 100,000 signatures to get it sorted out in Parliament. Amazing. And how have you found, how's your mum found the reaction to her writing in a book? Because I think that's such a brilliant idea because quite often, well, I was quite guilty of it, is shutting my parents out and they have really, they, like my mum's told me, they can see that you're not quite right, but they have no idea how to help you. So I think that's such a brilliant thing to, to have done. Yeah, no, I'm really pleased she did it, actually. And for my mum and me, it was like a real learning curve. Um, we had quite an up-and-down relationship when I was growing up, and particularly when I was in hospital. Um, we used to argue all the time. And actually, it was quite interesting kind of reading her reflections on what had happened um, and kind of realising the impact that it had had on her and the rest of my family, too. Um, but I think, she's, I think she's definitely pleased she's done it. She doesn't do a huge amount of kind of mental health and eating disorder work now just because she's got a kind of a full-time really busy job but she kind of I guess she speaks to parents still when they need her to um and quite a lot of people get in touch with me parents and people who are struggling and so quite often if they're parents or something my mum will pick that up and speak to them as well which is good yeah that's amazing um thank you very much for talking to us that's been absolutely fascinating no worries thanks for having me guys just a quick reminder that we aren't trained psychologists or psychiatrists or therapists and if you're having your own problems don't hesitate to go and see your GP or use the services of charities like mine or calm or anything like that